welcome to the Hardly Adequate Podcast. My name is Desi and I'm a content developer and podcast host. This podcast is part of a series where I interview people in cyber and we get to understand their pathways and how they got to where they are today. If you're interested in learning more, jump onto my Discord server and you can grab an invite from my website, hardlyadequate.com. This week, though, we're joined by Phil Moore. So Phil used to be, we were colleagues a couple of years ago, and Phil also runs the Forensics Forensics website, which if you listen to Hardly a Week podcast, I get a lot of stuff from there. Thanks for that, Phil. Welcome, mate. Thanks for joining the podcast. No worries. Thanks for having me. First question we ask everyone is, what is a normal workday like for you? And I know like from working with you in the past, I know your days vary quite a lot if you're teaching or working or doing huge cases and you're up late at night kind of thing. But yeah, step us through like maybe a couple of typical days for you. As you said, it varies and it, it depends on if I'm teaching or if I'm doing my day job. Safe to say that almost every day involves some degree of forensics, which I don't know, some people might say, you know, is sad, but it's good to, you know, work in something you enjoy and, and is your hobby. My day usually starts about 5.30 in the morning when my eldest daughter comes in and demands YouTube videos and we're training her to, to prevent that from happening. But most of the mornings are getting the kids ready and then checking in, trying to, to stay away from logging in really early as it's so easy to, especially with my New Zealand colleagues already being working. But, you know, you get up, you do your day job, you know, it could be anything from building capability to investigating some intrusion to helping other people uh, investigate intrusions and, and anything in between. I'm trying to, you know, call it quits at the end of the day, but because I have silly hobbies and I'm incredibly lazy, I don't like to leave the house. And so I end up either working more or uh, lately being really good for my mental health, forcing myself to stop working and play Zelda, but I'm getting close to the end of that. And so I'm going to have to try figure out my next distraction. Are you playing Breath of the Wild or Tears of the Kingdom? No, Tears of the Kingdom, but like in an attempt to prevent myself from going back to what I would otherwise be doing which is like working on the stack of projects i'm trying to actually finish it finish it which is not not better but i kind of feel like it's better you're moving the obsession from work hobbies to a gaming hobby you've got to work with the ocd and it's it's one way or the other so it's you know that that's kind of at the moment that's a typical day like uh we'll hang out with my, my family my wife and we'll, we'll catch up on whatever it is that we need to catch up on trying to not work when I don't need to work is, 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 is a good thing to be trying to do and trying to emulate for other people. And then there's, there's the other half of my life, which is teaching. And that's, that's actually funny because they're the times where my day's really structured and really rigid. I don't need to worry about that incident call coming in. I get up, do my lectures, help people, learn about this this excellent field and then clock off at the end of the day and then i kind of can do what i want which sometimes is go to sleep which is amazing yeah especially when some of those classes you're teaching are at like 2 a.m to start yeah i try to avoid those but yeah definitely during covid that was that was a almost a requirement but now that travel's opened up again like i'm going to singapore in a few weeks and i get to you know wake up breakfast and and straight to teaching and then i finish and I'm in a foreign country, which I'm very lucky. You know, I can, I can do all these things. 
Yeah, nice. So let's go back a little bit. What was the job you had before getting into what you considered cyber? Or have you always just been a, a tinkerer and kind of had cyber as part of your job? Technically, I haven't had cyber as always part of my job. But as far as like what I would call my official professional career I have. So I have had a variety of different little jobs that weren't really like a, a full-time job because I graduated university like right at the, the middle of the global financial crisis. So getting a job was hard, but I managed to, to sneak into the New South Wales police force and, in their forensics team, but I didn't get that job for like a year afterwards. So I had a bunch of little jobs, but I knew that this is the field I wanted to work in at the time. Like the, it was less the IR side, a bit more of the, the traditional digital forensics was, was my day in day out. It's kind of cyber, but it's kind of not because like cybersecurity is a very broad field and the digital forensics component that is in law enforcement, it's its own separate thing. We spent as much time using all the techniques that we would use in a standard civil digital forensic case, but then we also had to break into mobile phones and computers and think about how to do all those things. So it's kind of cyber adjacent, um, but it wasn't like I wouldn't at the time say that I was in cybersecurity, whereas now I kind of fell into that and have to say, yeah, I work in cybersecurity and I help people. And, you know, I mean, we were helping people before, but now it's different. In that year that you said you kind of got into the unit, but then you weren't doing the job, what was that transition like? And I, I guess I'm keen to understand why got there but then we're just doing little jobs was it just like we need someone to go get the coffees and that's what you were like barista it was even more annoying than that i wasn't actually <laughs> working for them then but what happened was when i finished uni i met with some of the guys there they said we're we're hiring they just had a bunch of people leave who'd been there for a very long time and so they had open positions i went through the interview process and i came second which is not great but they basically were like well, we've got multiple spots, so we want to put you into one of those spots, but the government set up a hiring freeze, so we can't do that. So you've got the job, but you can't start yet. And that took a year. So like there I am sitting going, okay, there's the job I want. I've got it. I just can't touch it yet. What do I do? And so you know, I had to occupy myself for, for a year, which meant working in temp jobs. And I worked in digital support and a whole bunch of random things. And I actually, it was really interesting because I, I got offered a, a job as part of that at a different organization that I was temping for and almost took, not almost took it, but kind of almost took it. I was like, well, these guys have screwed me around for a year. Do I want to, do I want to go there or do I want to just take the job that I've got? But like, you know, it was a decision and ultimately I'm glad I made what I think is the right decision, but could have gone very differently. With your uni degree, what did you study at uni? Did it Was it relevant to what you wanted to do? Kind of, yeah. So I studied business information systems and that kind of trains you in some capacity to be a project manager or a business analyst, of which I am neither. I didn't like that kind of work. I'm not structured as well as probably I should be. I did a whole bunch of rotations through companies. I worked at some you know, major companies like IBM and Coke. And I enjoyed the things that I did there, but I used them to learn about, A, what I didn't want to do, 
and B, how to work in an, in an organization. I made a lot of mistakes working as an intern that I hope I've learned from by now. The good thing about that degree was that you're, you're kind of trained to sit in the middle of business people and tech people. You do accounting subjects, which I didn't do so well in, and computing subjects, which I did do well in. The thing that we do, especially when we moved into, when I moved into like law enforcement and then ultimately now, you know, presenting to boards and, and CEOs and, and other people that need to understand is you need to translate really, really technical information into things that people can quantify and use. And definitely really easy to fall into the weeds and talk about the forensic artifacts, but they don't care. Like that, I think helped me a lot develop the speaking skills that I need. And even now all the stuff that I do in and amongst all the day job is like trying to translate really technical topics to people that may not be able to pick them up really, really quickly. Yeah, it helped. I think it helped at least you know, where I am now. Maybe it helped. You know, you have to be able to do both. You have to be able to speak and do really technical stuff if you want to succeed in teaching and, you know, doing DFIR. So it sounds like you had a really smooth transition between university and then you got that experience that you were talking about where you figured out what you didn't want to do and then into the police force and it probably sucked for that year, but you would have picked up skills doing all those small jobs anyway. Is there anything you would go back and kind of tell yourself or like stuff that you might change in that pathway there that you thought might help to get you where you are today? Or did you, were you appreciative of still doing doing that even though you've, it gave you the chance to figure out what you didn't want to do? I am very grateful for the life that I have and I can't, I complain a lot, but like I can't really complain about everything that led to, you know, the no, right now. You, right? you complain a lot, Phil. I complain so much. Um, but it's all <laughs> loving and it's all, you know, harmless. You know, I, I have been very fortunate in everything in my life that, you know, I was able to take time off as well. Like I, I willingly took time off after university. You know, I had a, was able to, to think about the thing that I actually wanted to do and then the opportunity to do it actually not didn't quite fall in my lap, but you know, there was a series of fortunate events that led to me being able to go, Oh, that's something I want to do because I did the, there was a forensic subject that was only offered twice at UNSW at the time. And this is in 2009. And the only reason I could take it was because I chose to go on a study abroad in Texas, which not many people are able to do. Because I extended my degree, I did this forensic subject. And then I, we spoke to this guy who said, why don't you apply for this job? Because we'll take anyone. Because they, they have to. They, they train police officers with aptitude. So they don't really care as long as you meet the bar. And not the bar was low, but the bar was like a university degree and a willingness to learn. Great, I can tick those two boxes. And they did an excellent job of teaching you what you needed to know to do just basic, basic digital forensics. And, you know, after that, the rest of it is like up to you. So from my perspective, I was given almost free reign to, to do my investigations, to do them the way that I wanted to do them. You know, I spent a lot of time reading, researching, testing, because you have to make sure that you are 100% sure that this is what happened. 
that was a really good environment where you were given, you know, the ability to learn things, test things, play with things, break things, as long as it wasn't on core casework so that you can prove it. I was very lucky in everything leading up to it. Maybe other people can, can follow in a similar footstep. I know that it varies across the country and the world. I thought going into law enforcement was super helpful for my development. And it was mainly because they had the nurturing environment to develop someone into, you know, whatever degree of quality they want to work to. I find that's common amongst, because I myself have a military background and it's any government organization that has to train people to a standard or kind of has that training, initial training structure, which I think is getting better in Australia in the corporate sense. There are some opportunities for kind of that intern or associate to grow into cyber, but definitely at the time that I think both you and I went through and we went through at different times, government was kind of the way you went about it for a newer industry. With the cops, we put everyone through a six-week training class that one of the guys put together. And he put it together because he had like a one-week training class then the rest was like kind of not figure it out, but a little bit figure it out. In that six weeks, like we learned everything from the police procedures to how to image a drive, how to image a phone, how to use these tools that we're going to use day in, day out, how you use the scripts. And they did tend to at least when I did it, and remember this was 2011, they focused a lot on the procedures. Follow these steps, and the reason why we follow these steps is because they're tried and tested and they work. A corporate entity does not have six weeks' worth of training built up. Maybe they do. And if they don't, someone has to build it or they have to pay for it. It costs a lot of money to do it. And like depending on the throughput you've got, can you justify that time? Uh, or do you have to spend... $60,000 with a training organization to give someone six weeks of training to make them quote unquote useful, which is, it's a really hard proposition. So like governments and organizations that have a lot of, not quite churn, but kind of a lot of people that they have to train, they can, they can justify that cost. With your whole career, what areas of cyber do you think you've been part of? Like obviously DF, IR, yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> I've been that's like it. super focused. I'm slowly learning about other things that I really feel like I needed to learn because that's that's kind of the thing. You see people coming into IR as subject matter experts in a in a specific thing. So some people might come out of uh, network engineering or, or cloud infrastructure, or they might be sysadmins, or they might be in law enforcement, and they will all work differently, bring different skills to the table. You know, I've come from DF going into IR where I was like, here's a computer. You've got as long as you want to analyze it to you have four hours. And if you, if you screw that up, they get ransomed. Cool. No pressure. So I'm spending a bit more time learning about red teamy stuff. And I'll need to learn more, a lot more about how businesses operate more holistically within the cyber area, because, you know, we, we're dealing with, big customers and you say, do this, and they say, we don't know how, well, you either need to do it or find someone that knows how to do it. And sometimes at three o'clock in the morning, there isn't anyone you can call. And they and remember, they called you. <laughs> so you need to know how to do it. So yeah, l spending more time learning about infrastructure and, and pen test, red team, hackery things, 
just to, to help inform the, the stuff that I, I enjoy doing being forensics. Yeah, it's a never ending learning journey once you're in. Like I still reckon I learn something new every day. Yeah, and you can't not. The, the worst part is when you've learned something that A, you thought was something else before and you go, oh, I've been saying it wrong the whole time. Or you, you learn something that you go, wow, I could have used this. Like we did the best we could, but this would have been a game changer for me five years ago, right? Funny you say that. I was reading your, I think it was your blog. This, you wrote the set you told Cache one. Yeah. So I was reading that today and I was testing it out. And there's, as I was doing it, I was just like, I wonder how many times I could have checked this like local database to just see what files are in there and where it's come from. Because you used to see like, so util be used quite a lot by attackers. So yeah, it's just a, an artifact that I didn't even know about until I saw your presentation and then and read the blog. happens all the time. And, and look, sometimes it's kind of interesting, but not really useful. Like we found it on a job. Simon, our, our colleague, was, was working on a job with me and he was like, oh, I found this. This is interesting. So that's why we, we dug into it. But like it was kind of one of those interesting to people in forensics. But did it change anything in the investigation? Not dramatically. We could add a line. We could spend hours just to add a line to our report that said they used CertUsil from a web shell. And the client's like, we don't care. Which is kind of funny because like that is and always has been part of my life in forensics where we'll get really excited about how we figured out this problem and they're like you spent how long figuring out this thing that doesn't really matter but it matters to you it's fun it's puzzle we like puzzles that's why we're in this gig and it's a massive trade-off as well because that could be like its own whole master's thesis that someone's researched something to do with windows and, and goes here's this thing and then what i love about cyber in general and the stuff you do with teaching and the blogs and everything is that it's that level research of I tested all this, here's still some unknowns and it allows like I think it was the Cert Util one where someone else did they build on your research or they was he just had done other research and it linked. They did it because of me. One of the things that if you like that blog post, you might like this one. Uh, I wrote a blog post where I talked about why you should start your own website, right? And, you know, everyone go to hardlyadequate.com and you will see everything that Desi does. It's a great place to market yourself. And so I tell people, start your own website because, you know, way back in the day, that's what everyone did. And then we kind of stopped because everyone has Twitter and Facebook and they stopped kind of centralizing it. And one of the things in that post says, you don't need to reinvent, like you don't need to figure out this brand new thing we don't know. You don't need to even figure out the whole thing. You need to do an amount of research that says, hey, I was looking at this thing. I found this thing. This is what I did. This is what I found. I don't know everything because you end up with this analysis paralysis if you basically go, I can't put anything out there unless it's perfect, unless it covers all the bases and it covers everything. And so what I try to do in the, three blog posts a year that I, I tend to write, despite the, my drafts folder being I'm, half good. I'm honestly amazed that three come out of you with how much like stuff that I know you do. Yeah, but I've got like I've got a whole bunch that I'm like, I'm going to half write this and then I'll come back to it and then I might not. But like what I've started doing or rather what I have done throughout is like, this is what I found. 
I don't know these things. I don't know what this means. Don't know, like you're going to ask, I don't know, because it's completely fine for you to say, I don't know. It's completely fine for you to say, these are conditions that I ran my tests in. And this is what I found. I didn't test everything, but this is what happened. And um, the guy that read my blog post, one of the guys that read my blog post was like, that's cool. I'm going to figure that out. And he's done it twice, I think, maybe twice. People have done it quite a lot. And then I just update my blog posts and say, hey, by the way, this person did this. And, you know, that's happened with, I think that happened specifically the Cert Util blog post. That happened with the dude that figured the uh, other thing out, the UTF 18, 16, LE, whatever, uh, five thing. And then Matt Green, one of our other coworkers, was like, oh, that's cool. What about if we do this, this, and this? And now we've got Velociraptor artifacts out of it. I am a huge proponent of pushing things out into the world and seeing who bites. I've done it on casework in the past and literally said, I've got this problem. Who can help me? Or I figured this thing out, but I need more testing and more information. And turns out people go, that's cool. I can do that. And then they solve a problem for you. We work better as a community than as individuals. Yeah, 100%. And it's a pretty amazing community on the whole, I find. One of the things that like the DFIR community does better than anyone else is like come together and help each other. And to our detriment, we will keep working until someone uh, like revokes our access and orders us pizza and says, go to bed. But like, it's so interesting watching the dumpster fire that is the rest of like InfoSec Twitter sometimes. Whereas all the DFIR people are like, no, we're cool. We're just going to help. Like I found this. What did you find? Cool. That. And it's it's good. I, I think that that's better. So my next question normally is, what has been your favorite role to do? But I think I want to rephrase this as, what's been a highlight in your career, whether that's a, a milestone that you hit or like a case that stands out in your mind where you just really like found the answer and it was really complex or you helped someone and it was a, a good result kind of thing? There's a whole bunch. A lot of the cases in... Law enforcement were really sad but rewarding um, where you could help provide closure to families or, you know, put the bad guy away kind of thing. And one of those that stands out is really, really sad where unfortunately a, a lady was, was murdered and her body was placed elsewhere. The, the cops had actually gone to, to try and find her, but they couldn't. One of my sergeant at the time was like i've got this mobile phone do you want to have a look at it and i said sure like why not we can we can potentially see where the the accused now now convicted may have traveled the investigators at the time basically told us unless you get like we've we've gone everywhere unless you give us a pinpoint location we we're not going back out there because unfortunately it was in a national forest where they had a an area of about 50 kilometers to look and look for a, a unfortunately very small chinese lady they weren't going to spend more time than they already had we we ripped apart the phone we looked everywhere and uh we we did tests on on the like the way that the iphone was functioning and how it would calculate people walking to try and figure out well, you know how far from the car maybe did you go and 
eventually, and this wasn't me, so I'm very happy to say it wasn't me, but one of my coworkers looked at one of the Google Maps pins on Google Maps and was like, hey, this person said, like, take me home from their location. But we overlooked that part. We literally said, oh, because it doesn't say my location. It just says, like, the forest that it was in. And he threw it into Google Maps and then just zoomed in and there was a truck stop. And so they said, guys, go to the truck stop. And they said, okay, that's that's a better lead and that's not going to cost as much in terms of like going down a valley. They literally looked over the side of the truck stop and, and there she was. So, you know, that was really, really rewarding. It was really sad, but to give the family closure and the, the guys basically gone straight to prison, you know, which happens. I, I tend to not... Like I try not to give specifics. That one we can because it, it ultimately has, has come out. But, you know, we, we dealt with stuff like that all the time. And the guys that I, guys and girls that I used to work with at the, at the cops, just that was their, their life. They were doing everything they can to try and help victims and help people, which is a not, I mean, it's not a thankless task, but, you know, it does take a toll on people and a lot of people have to move on from that life. I enjoyed the work, but... I decided it was it was time to, to go and help businesses, you know, in their hardest time, try try and save their businesses from, from dying. I don't have as many good, not good stories. I've got some good stories about, about stuff outside of, of law enforcement, but, like, it's really hard to beat that kind of impact, right? You don't know about the ransomware incident you prevented by helping them, you know, get rid of something because... Maybe it was really, really, really close. Maybe it wasn't. It's like seeing the instantaneous outcome of your your work almost that is rewarding. You know that that it's a sad story, right? So it's it's not one that everyone's like, no. What about what about when you became a sans instructor? That should have been great. It's like no, I'm arrogant enough to think that that was a given. It was just a matter of time, right? <laughs> but also, why not? Like that's, it's kind of persistent. Eventually it'll happen. It's very different to the ducks needed to line up. We needed to have the exact evidence and then go looking and we'd be really lucky. And we, we fit, found that out. You know, I had a case a month after that was a similar situation, but we couldn't find it. And unfortunately, while the guy was still found guilty due, due to a variety of other things, I couldn't give that family closure. We did the best we can with what we got. So you mentioned before, you've got a stack of projects that you are trying to not do because you're getting work-life balance. Cyber or otherwise, do you have any passion projects that you are doing currently? Like I know for, Forensics, Forensics, no, Forensics, yeah, This Week in Forensics is probably a, a passion project, I think. It's a chore that I enjoy doing. It's funny because I kind of should ask people to help. But then if they actually looked at what I do, they, they decide that it's better and smarter to go outside. You know, I live very close to a beach. Why am I not at the beach on a weekend? Instead, I'm reading about like whatever I wrote in the last Sand. Sand gets it everywhere. Does, it does. But oh I was there last beach. week and it was beautiful. And, you know, I got to spend a couple of hours with my kids having a lot of fun. You know, there's, there's this imposter syndrome and degree of just craziness and OCD that means that like I can't let it drop and so for the last 
eight years, I think, I've been just like trying to keep up with everything that's happening because I don't know how I would do my job if I don't do that. And like, I enjoy my job and I enjoy being perceived to be good at my job. And therefore I have to keep doing the thing that takes up a lot of my free time. So, you know, I, I don't dislike doing it, but like should find hobbies outside. But otherwise, you know, the hobbies are, are the, the two little girls that, that I, I do everything for, right? So that's my other passion project and keeping them occupied, which is, which is I think, another very worthwhile <laughs> endeavor. And then otherwise, it's just like random other things, you know, trying to research that thing that I said, oh, that's cool. I should do that and then learn something else. Yeah, hopefully not pushing too much else out of your brain as you're doing it, which... I seem to do. I, I'm very forgetful on, on everything else that isn't cyber. Is that I'm just like, it doesn't stick in my brain. So what's your goals that you have for the next six to 12 months? And this can be cyber or otherwise, but just kind of what, what sticks in your brain that you want to head towards? I've been asked this question a lot. I remember getting asked this question when I was applying for a promotion. You, you'll, you'll have a similar experience where to get promoted you have to apply for the job in, in a paramilitary or military organization. And it's like, they go, where do you, what do you want to be in five years? And I was like, I don't know where I want to be in five minutes, but I'm happy doing what I'm doing because I enjoy the thing that I'm doing and the people that I'm doing it with. And if either of those things change, well, I might start looking for a job or I might start looking for something else to do, you know, do I know where I want to be in a year? Alive. Everything else is variable. For the most part, you know, I think the, the, the thing that I want to be doing is being better than I am now at the things that I enjoy doing. We get to work on some really cool things, some really interesting cases, and I know that I can do them better. With a plan, maybe I could get there faster, but yeah. I, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and, and hopefully it works out because I'm not, I'm not a big planner. Yeah. I'm definitely ga gathering that uh, and remembering it now that yeah, we're doing just, this interview. You just make it up and, and as long as it makes sense, it's all good. It'll work out. I've interviewed someone before who deals with the kind of OCD and jumping everywhere. And it was very interesting talking to them about what they wanted to be when they were a little kid because week after week it changed. Were you the same or did you have something that kind of stuck with you for a while? And usually when I ask this, it's like around when you were like five, when you're kind of starting school and you're like, I want to be an astronaut or I want to be a world-renowned scientist because I don't, it's something you saw on TV and you're like, I'm going to be that. I think that leads on very nicely from the last point where I didn't have a plan. I couldn't tell you age five, right? I knew when I started high school that I wanted to do something in programming because like got into year nine and we started moving away from like Excel and learning how to type and stuff and moving into basic programming. And I thought the ability to like make the computer print something was the most amazing thing. Um, I was like, oh my God, I can make the computer display whatever text I want. Never mind that I had Word open next to it kind of thing, right? You can already do that, but I can make loops and, and all this stuff. And I wasn't very good at it, um, but good enough that, you know, I could pass the subjects and, you know, I kept doing it. I was interested in it. 
And so I kind of wanted to be a programmer, but like I'm not not good enough to be a professional programmer. So it was something in computing. I just didn't know what it was. And it wasn't, like I said earlier, like it wasn't until the very end of my degree that I said forensics is cool. Solving these puzzles is cool. I, I was able to do it pretty well. So let, let's give that a run. You know, now years and years, decades later, you know, it, it's an actual degree path. You could go into, out of high school rather, go, I want to work in cybersecurity. And there are universities and certifications and a whole bunch of things that 20 years ago, that wasn't a thing. It was a thing that people didn't realize was a thing, uh, but it definitely wasn't something that someone told me, hey, you could go and do that. Yeah, it's definitely more accessible to start learning now. And and again, like the fact that the community puts out so many good blogs, again, is really helpful for people to start. Like it could be quite daunting, but at least a lot of the blogs I read and the stuff that's linked from the website that you have usually is pretty well written for someone who has technical aptitude but might not know the subject matter intimately. And as, like especially like the Threat Intel malware blogs, like they're all written in a very easy to understand way. At least you can get a third of the way through and be like, okay, I'm, a, I'm all right with this. And then it requires extra effort after that kind of point to, to go further. One of the things I tell people when, they, when they're starting out or, or ask me about what they should do, I literally say, read everything. It doesn't really matter if you don't understand 70% of it because if you read a blog about some malware and it says it did this and whatever, you go, okay, I don't understand how that works. What do I need to learn to understand that, to test it, to play with it safely? It's malware. You know, everyone has access, maybe not everyone has access to a computer, but, you know, if you're reading it on a computer, you have access. You can download virtual machines. You can spin them up for free and test how windows works as long as you read up enough on how to do all these things there will be something that says do this thing do this thing and and this is the result it's something that i think as you said is kind of very accessible but you dive in you start reading and you won't understand a lot of it but now like i read blog posts and i know a lot of stuff where I'm sitting there going, that blog post is wrong because they said this happened and that doesn't work that way. And so, you know, the more you play with this stuff, and unfortunately some people make it their hobby as well as their job, you know, the more that you read, the more that you understand, the more that you test, the better everything will be ultimately. And just to highlight there, like I'm definitely in the bucket of people who still don't understand like 70% of the blog posts. I don't. I, I, I will 100% admit, I will read a blog post, especially in the malware section. I'm like, that's interesting. That's something that like, it's good that you guys know about that. It's a specialization. And, and there's something that, you know, 20 years ago, you could understand the world of forensics because there wasn't that much of it. There are so many subspecialities and different lifestyles within cybersecurity and then inside that in incident response that it's just like don't try be everything to everyone because you need to specialize. You need to figure out who has the specialization that you need to, to solve you know, your investigation. And some people are just going to be better at some things than others. 
we've covered what I think you do to unwind and get away from work. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you do to kind of relax or, or even is it like a, an end of day routine you have where you slam your laptop lid shut because you know, that's the only way you're going to step away. From yeah. No, computer. I put away the bad computer and pick up the good computer. Um, no, like <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's, it's kind of funny because people believe that I don't have any Wi-Fi balance and it's like, I, I got yelled at by another ex colleague of ours, Joe, a lot because she's like, you don't turn off. Like you need to, to do that. I'm like, no, if I'm on leave and I'm messaging the group, it's not because I like, it's because I want to keep chatting. Like it's not, it doesn't feel like work. So it's not draining. And, and that's the main thing that you need to, when you take a break, you need to recharge. Now, if reading about this stuff and playing with this stuff and working on these hobbies is energizing to you, then, you know, that's perfectly fine as long as it's not a chore and stuff like that. But no, like I, usually, unless there's a reason and, don't tell any clients I'm saying this, but like sometimes there's not a reason to work at night. Um, the thing that they're demanding needs to be done, but refusing to pay for the, the out of hours work, you go, okay, well, this can wait till tomorrow. So that computer shuts. I go, what do I need to do? Nothing. I'm going to go watch Netflix, watch Disney plus go for a run, play soccer, you know, do something that's not work. And if that, if that's something that's not work is video games or, writing a blog post and doing some research about this thing that was just bugging me that I was like, I need to understand how this works so that I can stop thinking about it. Then that's what I'll do. Uh, so it all varies. I spend a lot of time with my immediate family and my, my broader family and try to see friends, but you know, that that's obviously a hard thing to do. And then just living, <laughs> cooking, spending a lot of time doing cooking and laundry. It's, I don't think it's not what it's cracked up to be. No, it's not. You you get lied to about how much time everything takes when you're an adult to do all that stuff. Finally, this is about recommendations that I ask for people to give for people who are looking to get in the industry or maybe starting to get in. And I think your point there about read everything, particularly what you're interested in, is a good one to start. But do you have Anything to build on that or other advice that you have? So a few years ago, uh, Sands asked us to to do something similar, right? They said, we want a getting started in DFIR uh, book, not quite book, but like 20-page thing. So we put that together and talked about what you can do to, to get started. And I've, I wrote out a whole bunch of things. And some of it was Blue Team Labs and Hack the Box and you know, CTF style things. And then there's downloading forensic images or building your own forensic images, downloading VMs and saying, I don't understand how link files works. I'm going to watch this YouTube video that gives me an understanding and then I'm going to test it. And if I can recreate the thing, I'm going to understand it better. So there's a whole thing about like, just read because we learn from other people making all of these mistakes or telling us how these things work. And then you have to do, because ultimately if you want to do cyber, you don't read cyber, you do cyber, <laughs> you know, you, you do all these things. So you have to be able to say, no, I understand how this works because watch this. And if I change this, this happens or something else happens. So a lot of it is just understanding the fundamentals, whatever those fundamentals need to be testing, playing, talking and just, you know, figuring out what it is you need to, to do 
to ultimately achieve whatever goal you might set. That's really good advice and a good good one to end on, I think. So thank you so much for joining me tonight and agreeing very short notice to come on to the and record the podcast. Um, it's been a- I don't get to talk to you all that often. So I had to you know, get a chance to, to, we got to hang out recently and then, uh, yeah. Yeah, thanks again for, for coming on. And hopefully some of the listeners find it useful and inspiring and the advice on just reading stuff is prompt, going to prompt me to definitely read more because it's something that I probably have gone away from. The more work that you do, the harder it is to find time to sit down and read and understand a blog and then do that testing. Thanks all. Nearly all of the content will be free, but if you want to support, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, like, and subscribe to my YouTube channel. And you can also check out my merch from my website, hardlyadequate.com, where you can also get links for all of my content. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you later on. Thank you.